The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. All right. Good morning, church family. How are we? Caleb's good. How are the rest of you? How are we, guys? Fair to Midland. We're okay. I'm glad you're here. Uh, If you're new around here, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm one of the pastors, and uh, I had the privilege of opening the word with you this morning. So uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let's go ahead and open up to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We're concluding a series today through uh, a short study on uh, selected topics through Proverbs because we all want to do life better than we have. I think we all can look back on our lives and recognize the folly, uh, you know, mistakes we've made, decisions we've made that were foolish, and, and so we want to do life better than we have. But we also know we need more than just rules. Rules, are, rules have a place, um, and yet rules also have a limitation, Rules, and for anyone who has gotten a speeding ticket, you know rules can't change your heart, right? I mean, the rule exists, and there's a penalty, and, and we still get a ticket. So, uh, so rules have their place, but at the same time, rules do not have the power to change us. So we need something greater than rules. We need, we need wisdom. Um, I heard a story of a woman who went, she was like driving somewhere, and it's foggy, and she's following her GPS, like the rules, right? Turn-by-turn directions, and drove into a lake. So again, rules following the directions, and yet uh, wisdom had she not. So so we need something greater. Um, Proverbs as a book is an invitation into life that's really life. Uh, Jesus said, uh, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So, So Jesus wants to give us his wisdom. He wants to give us life. No, we don't deserve it. But it's on offer to us by grace through the empty hands of faith. And so God gives us his wisdom. This is what every one of us wants. We want wisdom. We don't deserve it. God gives it to us by grace. And so he gives us his wisdom in these little Proverbs. Proverbs, as we said before, are are little models of reality, if you will. We can sort of pick up and look at and examine and learn something about reality before we step into it. And so we learn from God about how life really works. And over time, we become the kind of people who make wise decisions in our lives, even in the ambiguity, even in the gray. So we have looked at specific subjects over the course of the summer and how to apply God's wisdom into them. But today, as we look at Proverbs 4, a short section of Proverbs 4, I think this passage sort of summarizes the Lord's objective for us with the book of Proverbs. So uh, if you'll follow along with me, I'm going to read Proverbs 4, starting in verse 20, down to the end of the chapter. I'll pray and we'll get going here. Proverbs 4, starting in verse 20, says this, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. 
Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm grateful for these men and women, uh, even the children who are in the room, grateful for the opportunity to open your word and have you instruct us. Um, And Lord, we come to you acknowledging, admitting we are fools. Not some of us, all of us. We do not possess the wisdom that we need. We do not listen to you. We do not follow you nearly as we should. And yet you are compassionate and gracious and merciful towards us. And so, Lord, in this time together as we have to open your word, I pray that you would show us marvelous things within it, um, that you would make us more wise, but more importantly, that you would make us love Christ all the more and cling to him with everything that we have. That there would be joy in your presence. You are here with us right now. I know many of us probably feel cold and distant from you, but Jesus, you are here and you want to meet with us and we want to meet with you. Our souls long to meet with you. And so would you show us wonderful things in your word and by your spirit and through your word, would you do what only you can do for your glory, for our good. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Now, one of the metaphors that you see often in the book of Proverbs is that life is like a path or a trail. It's one of the reasons why the artwork for the series here, we did like a hiking trail, right? Life is like a path. It's a, it's a trail. 16 times, in fact, in Proverbs chapter 4, there's reference to our steps or our path or all that kind of thing, okay? Any, anybody enjoy hiking in the, in the room? Okay, several of us, right? And... Uh, and, and our, we do as well, but you know, around this area, there are some, some trails are like wide and flat and easy, and some are pretty technical and challenging. And there's basically two ways to approach those kinds of trails, right? One is to be prepared, to stay on the path, and to be attentive to your surroundings, to be attentive to each step that you're taking. The other way is to show up unprepared, to wander off the path, to stop paying attention to your surroundings, to stop paying attention to your steps. And we've all seen stories every summer, if you've lived around here for very long, of people who get turned around on these trails and end up either hurting themselves or just being lost and needing to be rescued, right? Because they strayed from the path or they got mixed up. And it's actually pretty easy to do. Uh, Sometimes one misstep can be all the difference. We went hiking over the summer. Uh, The whole family, Christina, wanted to go. And so we got the kids to get off their phones and we got out on the trail and it was great. We went out towards Brevard and we got to this uh, sort of the, the summit of the trail. It's a waterfall. There's water, like a, a little lake area almost. I don't know what you would call it. Standing water. So <laughs> waterfall, the kids, they like were jumping on rocks and they wanted to swim. And I, I saw a little water snake that got into the water and I was like, let's not do that. And there's like a, a sloping rock, okay, that we're all, I'm kind of sitting on, Christina's there with me, and we're like, hey, let's, let's get ready to go. And so I'm walking on this slanted rock, and I, and I didn't see that there was water coming down this, the rock. And so I stepped, and as soon as I did, you know, like just, whoa, and there I go, sliding down this rock. And it's like, I don't know, 10 feet or something, and I'm just like, ah, and I slide into the water up to my chest. 
And then of course the rocks are all slimy underneath so I can't get my footing and I'm just going, ah, you know, like I'm, in my mind I'm like, don't cuss, don't cuss. So, so I finally get out of the water, I'm soaking wet. I didn't prepare for this. I got socks on, I got my phone, like my AirPods in my pocket, all this stuff, keys to the rental car. And, uh, and, and it's just, so we're like walking back, it's dead quiet. Everyone's just walking at their own pace, you know? And dad's just So I walk up to my oldest, to Eli, and I, and I go, well, I hope it was at least funny. And he goes, it was so funny. <laughs> Now, why do I tell you that? Because it's a dumb story. Uh, I thought it would be fun, but it's also like I d- one misstep made the difference, you know? And, and life is like that. For Solomon, the wisest man besides Jesus who ever lived, there are two similar approaches to life. One is to be prepared, to be attentive, right? And the other is to be un- unprepared and unattentive and to wander from the path. Now, Um, This section of Proverbs 4 is all about paying attention. So uh, if you're a note taker, my my first, the first of three points I want to show you here is is to pay attention to God's words. This is what we see. Paying attention to God's words. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Now, um, Proverbs is mostly written by Solomon to at least one of his sons, maybe m- many of his sons, but we also know that Proverbs is essentially God the Father speaking to us. And so he's saying, hey, pay attention. How many of us have had that conversation with our kids like multiple times a day? Listen, pay attention, right? Focus on me. I got something important that I need to tell you. And so this is what God is saying to us through Solomon, pay attention. Now notice he doesn't say, hey, take notes. He doesn't say, I want you to memorize my words. He doesn't even say, I want you to obey my words. Though all of those things are probably implied or at least the the last two, okay? What does he say? Verse 21, let them not escape your sight, keep them within your heart. In other words, He's, he's, he's saying, I want you to internalize my words and my ways until God's ways become almost like second nature to you. Um, for any of you who have learned a foreign language, you know that you can, you can obey the rules. You can sort of memorize the, the grammatical rules without understanding why they exist. You can memorize Uh, words for different objects and items in that other language. But it's not until you put both of those things together and understand conceptually why that language is sort of structured that way that it actually starts to become, you become fluent, right? When When you internalize that language and you can follow the grammar rules, and, 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 the, and the words come out and you grasp those concepts and you begin to practice the language naturally and instinctually. Now, when it comes to God's ways, there are at least two problems here that we face. Um, first of all, God's ways are so counterintuitive to, to our hearts, the natural bent of our lives, that they don't always make sense to us. For example, Jesus says to love our enemies. 
He, he says, um, the way to strength is weakness. He says that it's better to give than to receive. He says that if you try to hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life away, you'll actually gain it. You see, the, the, the ways of God are so counterintuitive to us, they don't really make sense to our souls. And so it takes constant getting used to, a constant reorientation of our lives around the ways of God, around the gospel. It's like, it's like a righty trying to use left-handed scissors, right? You've got to be really deliberate and intentional. Um, and look, we all have tried to use left-handed scissors with our right hand. It doesn't work. But if you try to use them with your left hand, you know it's, it doesn't feel natural. So you have to be deliberate and careful, okay? That's, that's what we need to do with God's word. Now, secondly, and this is so overlooked, we are in a real battle with a real enemy who really does not want us to walk in the ways of God. Which is why you can have random facts, like some of you sports guys, you can tell the entire starting lineup, lineup of the 92 whatever team, right? At, just out of nowhere. And yet it, it takes weeks to memorize a verse of scripture. <laughs> Why? Not because you're an idiot, because it's a battle. I mean, you might be an idiot, but it's also a battle. Why, you know, you might, uh, you're preparing to do your quiet time in the morning, right? And, and, to, and to, you open the scripture, and all of a sudden, all Hades breaks loose in your house. Like, you're like, I'm getting up early before the kids get up, and you get up at 5, and all of a sudden, your kid gets up at 5.01. And you're like, what, what is happening? It's a real battle with a real enemy who really does not want you to internalize the ways of God. There are, every single day, there are things in this world that vie for our attention and our affection and if we are not listening to and internalizing the wisdom of God, whose voices are we listening to? Whose voice gets credence in our lives? Whose voice is drowning out the voice of God in our lives? What, what are we letting ourselves listen to? Um, it, look, that's why David in, in Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Why? Because I know that I can't navigate this thing on my own and I need the word of God to enlighten every step that I take. But it'll never quite feel completely natural and obvious because God's ways are really counterintuitive and because we have a real enemy. To orient our entire lives around the ways of God, around the gospel takes patience, a lot of patience, and deliberate dependence. But as we become saturated in his word, and allow his word to, to sort of soak into our souls, it shapes our character. And we become a different kind of person who then knows how to make wise decisions in this world, uh, no matter how ambiguous or how gray kind of the situation is. So Solomon's first plea to us is to pay attention to God's words. But secondly, he, he tells us to protect our hearts. Verse 23 you guys know this one very well, especially if you were in a youth group in the 90s, because they told you this all the time, primarily to keep you from touching other teenage kids. <laughs> keep your heart, guard your heart, right? You heard that, guard your heart. But this, this is what it's about. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, put away devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. 
Your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Protect your heart. This is, this is Solomon's plea to us. Protect your heart. This is the key verse of this passage to keep, to guard, to protect our hearts with all vigilance. Okay, that raises two questions. What is our heart? And why is it so important that we protect our heart? So let's answer those in order. What is the heart? You guys know in the heart, the Bible, in the Bible, the heart is not um, just the organ, right? That's pumping blood through your body. Neither is it just your emotions. Now, the way that we use the word heart in, in the English language really usually tends to do with our emotions primarily. Like we'll say things like, well, my head says no, but my heart says yes, right? And there's this juxtaposition between our thinking and our feeling. Our head is our thinking and our heart is our feeling. But the biblical understanding of heart goes much deeper than that. It includes your thinking and your feeling and your doing. All of those are encompassed in the heart. In fact, um, in the book, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, he's a, a pastor. We have actually a couple copies out in the lobby. That was our Lenten reading for last year. Uh, some of you have read through that book, Gentle and Lowly. Uh, this is the way Dane Ortland explains the, the biblical explanation of the heart. He says it this way. Uh, it won't be on the screen. I'll just read it. When the Bible speaks of the heart, whether Old Testament or new, it is not speaking of our emotional life only, but of the central animating center of all we do. It is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what we daydream about as we drift off to sleep. It is our motivational headquarters. The heart in biblical terms is not part of who we are, but the center of who we are. Our heart is what defines and directs us. Did you catch that? Our heart defines us, our heart directs us, meaning it leads us, it influences our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions and behaviors. That's a big deal. It's our, how did he put it? Motivational headquarters. It's the center of our being. Okay, and that's why, to answer the second question, it is so important that we keep or protect our hearts, because he says in the text here, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Your heart is not a pond. Your heart is not a lake. It is a spring and from it flows everything else. The springs of life, he says. In other words, everything in our lives comes from our heart. Life flows not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Jesus echoed this, didn't he? Multiple times in the gospels. Um, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Mark chapter seven, Jesus is speaking with some religious uh, leaders uh, about cleanliness and about being defiled. And they're saying, well, you can't eat this and you can't eat that because it's going to make you defiled. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you got it backwards. What comes into your body from outside doesn't defile you. It's what comes out. And then he says this. This is Mark 7, verse 21. For from within, out of our heart, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, 
deceit, sensuality, envy, slander. And they're like, we get it, we get it. Pride, and then he says, foolishness, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they are what defile a person. So it's not necessarily what comes from outside that comes into you, but what comes out of you from the heart. That's why in the rest of Proverbs chapter four, what does he say? He says, keep your heart. And then he says, put away crooked speech and devious talk from your lips because the heart affects the mouth. Let your eyes look directly forward because the heart affects what you focus on, what you're looking at. Ponder the path of your feet because your heart determines where you walk. If we are distracted, and I don't know how you are not distracted in the world we live in today. If you are distracted, if we stop paying attention, if our hearts grow cold towards the Lord Jesus, they are going to grow warm towards something else. And when our hearts grow cold to the Lord Jesus and grow warm to something else, our mouths become reckless. Our eyes become wayward. Our feet begin to stray. And, and here's the... Here's the the absolute reality of life. And, and this is so important. Please look right at me. We are all five minutes away from totally destroying our lives. And some of you think, nah, not me. You might be three minutes away. To understand that if I am not watching guarding, protecting my heart and my focus and attention gets on something else or someone else, it is going to lead me in that direction, away from the presence of God, away from things, away from wise, good, godly decisions and into destruction. And every single one of us is five minutes away and a few bad decisions away from ruining everything. And we know it. That's why we can sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love because it is the tendency of every single one of our hearts. Augustine, the church father, called it uh, an issue of disordered loves. Not necessarily that we love the wrong things, but that we love the right things in the wrong order. And so we have this sort of running list in our mind of all the, all the affections of our hearts, all the things that we love, and God should be first. And if anything other than God is not first, we will be fools. But see, our hearts are, are, are they're such a jumbled mess and other things um, get put into the place of God. And so less important things we love too much and more important things we don't love nearly enough. Whatever your heart loves most is, is, is the stuff that you say, well, if I at least have that, I'll be okay. If I just have that, my life will be meaningful. If I just have that, I'll be secure. If I just have that, I'll be significant. If I just have that, I'll be somebody, right? My life will have counted. 
And so every single one of us has stuff in our hearts that we cling to, that we say, this is what I need for happiness and joy and success in my life. And I'm telling you, if God isn't number one in that list, you will be a fool. So to guard our heart with all vigilance means we are not indifferent. We are not cold and callous. We are not neglectful of our hearts. We are not careless. We are certainly not impulsive. We are alert because we know that whatever our heart latches onto will direct the rest of our lives. And we want our trajectory to go heavenward. And we do not want to settle for anything less than that which is glorious. That is the cry of a Christian's heart. It doesn't mean we don't struggle, but at the end of the day, what we want most is, is God's glory. And we want our trajectory to be heavenward. So we must protect our hearts. Now, you guys with me so far? Here's, here's the problem. <clears throat> you can't just say to your heart, reorder your loves. And your heart go, oh, okay. <laughs> it doesn't work, right? And there are all kinds of things in this life that are competing for the first love of our hearts. And so look back with me at the text. This might not make sense at the beginning, but hopefully in the next 14 minutes and 52 seconds it will. Let's pick it up with verse 24. So he said to us, guard your heart or keep your heart with all vigilance from it. Flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put away devious talk. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. And then he says this, ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So my final point, sounds a little weird, is ponder your path. Ponder your path. And here's why. The word ponder, the original word here that's used for, for ponder, um, can be, can be uh, translated in two different ways. One, as we would use the word ponder, would mean um, to give considerable thought to, right? So think, think deeply about your path, okay? That's one way. The other way, actually, this word can be translated as um, prepare or clear away or make straight or make level. So think of you know, preparing a piece of property to build on. You're clearing the path, you're, you're, you're making it level and flat. And, and that's, that same word can be translated both ways. And actually I think both of those definitions are helpful for us in this passage. Let's take them one at a time. So the idea of ponder your path, meaning give considerable thought to your path, to the path that you're on, okay? Thinking about things like this. Um, what is my trajectory? Do I think I'm on the path towards wisdom? Or, or do I know I'm on the path of folly? Um, who am I listening to? What voices have most weight and bearing in my life? What is my heart actually really longing for? What is most important to my heart? See, uh, back to Augustine, you know, he said once that... Um, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. And so if you find yourself restless, if you find yourself 
unsatisfied, it's probably an indicator at to some of the things your heart is longing for. Okay? We, we have to spend time pondering, contemplating, thinking deeply about where am I going? What is the path that I'm on? Um, what am I actually after in this life? Okay? Okay, but, but now think of it the other way. Um, make level, make, prepare, um, clear the path, okay? Again, you can't just tell your heart to reorder its loves. Uh, every, every love of our heart is, is sort of tangled up. And so you can't just say to your heart, heart, I see that we have some loves out of place. Let's re, redo those. And your heart just goes, oh yeah, let's do that. Um, kind of like when you ask your kid to clean their room and they're like, I did. And they put one toy away and then there's like a train wreck everywhere else. Just my family. So that, okay. Unless and until we actually love something more than, than this thing that's in first position, love, we, we won't change. This is what um, Thomas Chalmers, Chalmers called the expulsive power of a new affection. So you reorder loves by loving things more. And then they naturally go into the right order. Um, he, I think it was him who also said, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. And I think the same thing is, until Christ be sweet, sin will not be bitter, right? Um, loving Christ more will expel those other affections or put them in the right order. But how do we do that, right? What, what does it look like to actually do that? I was thinking about Hebrews 12, and I don't know why, but it just, I think it's a good place to go. So I'm going to flip over here real quick. You don't have to follow me if you don't want to. I hope this makes sense. It made kind of sense at the, at the nine o'clock. So, okay, listen, listen to what he says here. The author of Hebrews says, therefore, since we're surrounded, this is after the whole like hall of faith thing and all these Moses and Abraham and all these people. He says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Augustine defined sin as disordered love. So here what he's saying, lay aside every weight and every disordered love that clings so closely. And then he says, and let us uh, run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, fixing our gaze, Proverbs 4, on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we reorder our loves? He says, clear the path. Okay, um, cast off all those weights, all those sins, all those, that disorderedness, cast it off and focus your gaze, your attention on Jesus. Because Jesus Christ came to renew and to redeem all of you, like all of you, but also the whole of you. Heart, soul, mind, body, affections, hands, feet, eyes, ears, the whole of you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross for you. 
the actual you, the you that is still all knotted and twisted up and disordered. He came for you. And Jesus did not just come to die for your sin, though he did, absolutely. Jesus also shed his blood for you out of love. Because he has a noble purpose for you right now. Wisdom in the present. Immortality in the future. Walking hand in hand with him in eternity. You have a glorious future. He came to redeem you, to renew you, but also to use you in this life, to redeem your eyes, to redeem your feet, and most of all your heart, so that you follow a path that is full of grace and wisdom, and you are a blessing to others and glorify him until, until the end. Um, in John 7... Jesus is at the temple. Uh, he wasn't going to go, and then he showed up, and it's a feast, and there, it's the last day of the feast. <clears throat> and, uh, and he gets up. It's kind of weird. He just gets up. I mean, everyone's, like, packing stuff up. It's, it's like the end of our camping trip, right? Everyone's, like, closing up shop. And Jesus gets up on the last day of the feast, and it says this. He stood up and cried out. So this is, like, loud voice. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I think Jesus had Proverbs 4 in mind. And I love that Jesus says, whoever thirsts. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, whoever thirsts for righteousness. He doesn't say whoever thirsts for God. He just says whoever thirsts. He opens it up way, way more broad. Whoever thirsts, and guess what? All of us do. All of us thirst for something. What do you thirst for? What do you long for? What do you desire? Again, that's an indication as to the affections and the trajectory of your heart, what your heart is holding onto in first position. We all thirst for something. For some of us, it is meaning in our lives. For some of us, it's, for some of us, it's companionship, friendship, or a significant other. For some of us, it's security. For some, it's joy. For some, it's healing and restoration. For some, it's, you know, significance. I just want to be somebody. I want to know that I count. Whatever it is that you thirst for, that is what your heart is longing for. And Jesus makes this invitation to every single one of us. And he says, if you are thirsty for anything, come to me and drink. To believe on his name, to trust in his finished work for us, in his perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection from the dead, to have relationship with him. And he promises that he can and he will satisfy the deepest longing of every human heart who will come and receive his grace by faith. So we come with empty hands, we cling to him, and, and then for the rest of our lives, right? So we can be forgiven of our sordid past, uh, cleansed, forgiven, made new, made whole, brought into his kingdom, 
brought into relationship, given the right to be called the ch- a child of God with all the rights and privileges that Jesus himself as the Son of God enjoys. That is ours in Christ. And then, and then, for the rest of our lives, we put our hand in the nail-pierced hand of our Savior and we follow him. He leads us. And we walk with him down the path of life and vitality and wisdom until we walk with him into eternity. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to walk? We sing that song sometimes. He leadeth me. You know that one? He leadeth me, he leadeth me by his own hand. He leadeth me. We put our hand in his, and he leads us along the path of life and vitality. He, 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 by his spirit, reorders our loves. Through his word, by his grace. And then the spirit of God strengthens us to be vigilant so that we can protect and guard our heart from constant attack, constant distraction, and constant competition for our affections. And we do it imperfectly, but faithfully until he brings us home. And that's how you gain wisdom. And I know for some of us, it sounds so foreign like, what does that even mean to have affections for Jesus? And I don't know if, what I, if I even believe this stuff. And, and all I'm asking you to do right now is open your hands and say, Lord, I'm yours. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I'm open. I'm open. And if you're real and if you're there and if you care, my hand is open so you can grab mine and you can lead me because I'm tired of being a fool. Okay. So as we wrap up, I got two, two questions just to throw, uh, sorry, three questions to put up on the screens here. You can take a picture um, as they're all up or you can write them down as they go. But I, I do hope that you will take these and, and think deeply on them um, by yourself in prayer, uh, conversation with friends, or significant other, community group, whatever, um, it's helpful to process and not just sort of in one ear and out the other. First question is this. What keeps me from being more attentive to God's word? Okay, what I'm not asking is, do you have a Bible reading plan? Have a plan, don't have a plan, I don't care. Some of you know you can have a plan and you finish reading that fool thing, check the box and you go, I don't even know what I read. Okay, so I'm not asking you, are you reading the word or listening to the word? I'm asking you, are you paying attention to it? And what keeps us from being more attentive, more focused, more in tune with what God is saying to us through his word, uh, however we're receiving it, okay? Uh, what is distracting me? Um, do, do I, is there even a desire in me to hear from God through his words and to uh, let that word be implanted in my soul. Not Again, not just to sort of rest at the head level, but actually to sink down into my soul. So, it's, so 
I'm intuitively um, making decisions that are wise because I know God, okay? Um, maybe it's pride, maybe it's fear, maybe it's distraction, maybe there's all kinds of reasons, but what is it that's keeping me from being more attentive uh, to, to what God is saying through his word? Second question, where, two-parter, where is my heart prone to wander? So we, we know that feeling, we sing that line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Where, where are you prone to wander? What are the things that you normally sort of kind of go to chase after? How might my loves be disordered? If I can be honest and, and recognize, you know what, God is not my first love or he's not in first position in my soul, um, what is and why? And how's that going for you? At least acknowledging the Lord knows your heart. I don't know that you know your heart, right? I don't know that I know my heart. So at, let's processing how are my loves may be disordered. Where am I where am I putting too much weight on uh, a spouse or kids or success or, or my, my career or whatever? And I'm looking to that. That's my first love and not the Lord. And, and um, you might actually touch on, oh, this is where my frustration, anger, anxiety, depression is coming from because my loves are disordered. See? All right. Where's my heart prone to wander? Third question. What might change? if I really believed that Jesus could satisfy every longing of my heart. If I, if I actually could internalize that Jesus, you know, I think it was G.K. Chesterton uh, one time, old, old author, Catholic guy, he said, um, every man who walks into a brothel is actually looking for God. That's profound. Because we don't believe that Jesus can actually satisfy us, we go to all kinds of other things. But what if, what if I actually believe that Jesus can and will satisfy every longing of my soul? What might change? How would my countenance change? How would my attitude and the way I interact with other people change? You see, like what, what would it look like if my soul would actually embrace the truth that Jesus can satisfy me ultimately. Okay, again, I, I hope you're not walking out of here thinking, oh, I have got to be better at pursuing the path of wisdom. All I'm asking you to do is open your hands and allow the Lord to lead you. And I pray that you'll do that. I'm gonna pray for us uh, and then we'll, be, we'll have like a moment or two of, um, of quiet and stillness before the Lord. And then uh, when I get up to the communion tables, that'll be your sort of signal that the tables are open. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, who have trusted in him, uh, in him alone, even if it's by that like thinnest little coattail, you know, but you're trusting in Jesus. I want to invite you to these tables because here at the tables, we are celebrating the love of Christ for us, right? How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. Um, we, we are we are looking forward to the time when he walks us into eternity and we are satisfied forever. He's prepared a feast for us with him in eternity. And this is a foretaste of that. This is a, a, a promise that one day every, every longing will be satisfied because we will be with him uh, face to face. We also come in, in repentance, knowing there's so, so much that, that, that we hold on to 
in so many ways that we're twisted up and disordered. And so we come with open hands, repenting, thanking him, being grateful for what he's done for us in his life, death, and resurrection, and looking forward to that promise of eternity with him. Uh, So you can come to these tables, take a piece of the bread, dip into the juice or the wine, whatever your conscience allows. As you make your way back to your seats, there are black boxes for giving. If you are uh, a a part of this congregation, you want to give towards the work uh, of God here, you can do that. If you're new, and we can fill out a connect card, or if any of you have a prayer request, you can write that on that card as well. Drop it in that box in the back, and then uh, the band's going to lead us in a few songs before we get out of here. So let me pray, and then we'll be still. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for these men and women, for their patience with me as I uh, sort of fumble through this text. I pray that something that has been said today um, would stick to our souls, and that you would, Lord, nothing condemning. We know there is no condemnation in Christ. But maybe there's a word of challenge or a rebuke. Maybe there's a word of encouragement. Maybe we just need to sit and think deeply on the path that we're on. And if that's a path that will lead us ultimately to life and to wisdom. And so help us, Lord, wherever we find ourselves to change course, not of our own volition, not of our own doing, but as we hold your hand. And Lord, thank you that you would love us so much that you would give your life for us that we might have life in you. So lead us, lead us, Lord. I pray now that as we respond in repentance and faith through communion, through singing, through giving, that you would be honored and glorified, that you'd fill us with joy in your presence. And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. Let's be still for a few minutes.